Well, thank you for being here. Um, Thank you for making this time a priority for you and um, for the years that have been invested into School of the Word. uh, I, I love it. I love sharing in the Bible time. I love Pastor Peter and his investment over the years. Uh, I've said it before, I'll say it again. I cannot wait until heaven to see the concentric circles that his teaching produced in history. And just to, to see that broad, broad painting that God did artwork with his life. It will be one of the treasures of heaven, truly. So we have been in these I am statements, and Peter will continue and pick back up next week, um, discussing more of the perichoresis of God and, and the effects in our lives. Um, this week is a sort of a side, but, but not quite. Um, we're going to talk more of John 15 and what it means to be in the vine and to bearing fruit. But what have we learned so far? Jesus is the bread of life. He's the perfect manna from heaven and satisfies the hungry. And unless we feast on him, we have no part with him. Wow, there's a guest star. <laughs> Hello, Nicholas. Good morning. Jesus is the light of the world. You walk in the exact time, I'm talking about the bread. So. Jesus is the light of the world, the pillar of fire in the wilderness, salvation in a dark world, and the revealer of truth. Unless you believe that he is the Messiah and he is coming again, you will die in your sins. Jesus is the gate for the sheep. He is the door that the blood of the Passover was applied upon, the entryway into the sheephold. And unless you come in by Jesus, you are a thief and a robber. Jesus is the good shepherd. He knows his flock. He calls them by name. They hear his voice. And unless he is your shepherd, you will not be satisfied with good pastures. You will not be safe from wolves. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in him will never die. Unless you belong to him, you will not have everlasting life in the age to come. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the promised Messiah, God in the flesh. There is no other. And unless you know the Son and treasure Him, you neither know the Father nor belong to the Father. And Jesus is the true vine. He is the one in whom we must abide if we are to bear fruit. And unless you abide in Him, you will be gathered like dead branches and thrown into the fire. Seven I am statements in which Jesus could not make his messianic claims more clearer. Each statement is packed with patterns and structures found woven throughout the Hebrew scriptures. And in each one, he not only shares and states who he is and holds out a promise for all who believe in him. But there's also a valid warning for all that who would reject him. So we want to discuss this morning, as I said in our email this week, about the glory of God. Everybody think through their definition of glory? I hope so. Because we want to talk about how do we glorify God. 
So let's read. We're going to start in John chapter 15 and read verses 8 through 17. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for for having us as part of the vine that you sent. God, that we have been blossomed. We have been attached, grafted in, God, before the foundation of the world. You chose us to be with you. What a privilege, God. What a privilege. God, we uh, want to be faithful to your word today. We want to dive in. God, we want to hear what you have for us. God, we want to bear much fruit. We know that involves our being with you, being with Christ, and you being with us as the vine dresser. This morning, God, open your word. Open our eyes and ears. God, we want to see wonderful things. God, we want to hear what you're saying to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. John starts by saying, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. What is the cause of this fruit bearing? Two causes. The first one is kind of part A, part B, but still two. One, being attached to and abiding in the vine. Two sides of the same coin. And number two is being pruned by the Father. Let's start with number one. I'm going to use the whole chapter of John here because this is such a a valuable teaching as Jesus went through this. And verse four, John says, abide, or Jesus says, John writes, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Here King Jesus says that remaining in or abiding in him, being attached to and staying in that attachment is what it means to be part of the vine. And then he goes on and he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. What can you do apart from him? We can try. We can do a lot of things without him. 
We can be good people. We can look like we have it all together. We can do a lot of ministry activities. We can even teach a good school of the word class. And that, that's a huge amount of mechanical growth. That's growth that can be seen on the outside. It can be added up and, and shown, just like if we stacked all these chairs. The stacks will grow. But that's a mechanical growth. What Jesus is saying is that I want you to have a botanical growth. I want you to grow like a plant grows, that stays attached, that receives nutrients, that is a conduit to the fruit. And the fruit is out there for everyone to see. The second thing he says is that our, his words are to abide in us. Listen again to his promises in verse 7 and verse 16. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. And it will be done for you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruits should abide. So whatever you ask ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. It's pretty amazing. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Because you are abiding. And that right there, I feel like, um, and Peter, I'm looking at you. um, That one phrase, those two phrases combined in those two uh, scriptures, could be a series by itself on answered prayer and what Jesus uh, is really getting at here of abiding and answered prayer. And so we do not have time to break that down, though, Um, I do feel like there is a vibrancy that God wants to infuse into our prayer life. um, And we choose how much of that vibrancy we really want. uh, A.W. Tozer, I believe it was, that first said this, and I've heard it in a number of places. Leonard Ravenhill is the one that I've heard it the most from. Um, And he would say, you have as much of the Holy Spirit as you want. You can be more overflowing as you stay connected to the vine and you receive and you allow the vine to continue to to fill you up, right? The glass can be full of water and yet you could still pour water into it. And what does it do? It overflows. And as it overflows, what does it do then? It flows out away from the glass to the point that you no longer see the glass. What do you see? The overflow and the outflow. That's fruit. That's the Spirit. That is answered prayer flowing out of us. And we would be that filled with the Holy Spirit that when we start to pray, it's the outflow of what the Spirit has been bubbling rivers of living water in us. Jesus goes on and and in verses 9 and 10, He tells us how this happens. Verse 9 says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. It's already happened, but dwell in it. Stay attached to it. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Is this saying that? 
you know, we could lose our salvation? Has John presented this message of the branches not being attached, thrown into the fire as a point to uh, say that, you know, keep striving, keep learning? Absolutely not. Would not be in context with the whole book of John or the book of the Bible, of all the Bible. Be completely out of context. Instead, John says, you have been attached. This is Jesus' message. You are attached. Now dwell in that attachment. Much as the branch would stay on the vine and the juice, the sap, would flow through, as it were, to the fruit, to the leaves. I love that, that Jesus uses the metaphor here and, and we're the branches. Right? How, when's the last time you, you looked at a tree and really noticed the branches? You see the leaves. You see the fruit. The trunk, the main part, and the vine. You see the vine, but really the branches? That's us. That's why. We're really not that great. Uh, we are as functional as what the Holy Spirit is flowing through us and who we are attached to, who has our heart, and what treasure are we emitting out of that heart. Right? Is, it, is it a treasure of us, or is it a treasure of Christ? Is it a treasure of the Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to glorify Christ? So the first cause of fruit bearing is to be attached to the vine, and to abide in that attachment. The second cause is the Father's vine dressing, his gardening of us. All the way back to the beginning of the chapter, and John writes, as Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear fruit. So the vine dresser has two activities. Dealing with the false branches and pruning the fruit-bearing branches. Both of them see the knife, right? They're just in two different ways. First, dealing with the false branches. This is a powerful teaching of Jesus. Notice he says here that he is the true vine. Later on in the passage, he just says he's the vine and we're the branches. But at this point, he's making... A comparison to another false vine. He's turning the beliefs of the disciples upside down. When he said he was the true vine, he's claiming promises that have been understood to belong to Israel. Several passages in the Old Testament describe God's people as a vineyard. We'll use a couple right here. Psalm 80 is where we will start. Psalm 80 verse 10, I'm sorry, verse 8 through 10 says this. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade. The mighty cedars with its branches. That is Israel, right? God called, took, redeemed Israel out of Egypt and brought Israel into the land. Drove out all of its enemies ahead of them. And then planted Israel there. And it flourished till it covered the land. But this vine was not faithful. Hosea 10 verses 1 and 2 says, Israel 
is a luxuriant vine that yields its fruit. The more its fruit increased, the more altars he built. As his country improved, he improved his pillars. Their heart is false. Now they must bear their guilt. The Lord will break down their altars and destroy their pillars. Gulp. The more the fruit increased, and, and, and by fruit, in the Old Testament, it would be measured by prosperity. So the more Israel prospered, the more altars they made. That's not altars to God, because there was supposed to be one altar, either in the tabernacle or in the temple. And that was the place that you'd come and worship God. But Israel's multiplying their altars here to other gods. And I I fear for us living in America because we have increased. We have prospered well. And the more we have prospered, the more altars we've built, the more pillars we've established. And, And we need to hear this message that was so pertinent for Israel. As the Lord would bring judgment. The psalmist goes on in Psalm 80 and he says, Why then, speaking to the Lord, why then have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? The boar from the forest ravages it. All that move in the field feed on it. Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted, and for the son whom you made strong for yourself. They have burned it with fire. They have cut it down. May they perish the rebuke of your face. The enemies have come in. And the protection of the Lord has been removed. And they were allowed to destroy the vine that is Israel. They were allowed to capture them and to terrorize them. To trample them underfoot. But who is that son that is mentioned there in verse 15? Hey, it is, it is Israel, first of all. But look what the rest of the chapter goes on to say in verses 17 through 19. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand. On the son of man whom you made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. And there is the Messiah. There is the one who will be the true vine. The one who will establish the true Israel for God's worship. Now in our passage, Jesus tells the disciples that he is the true vine. He's the true Israel. He would cause those attached to him to worship, as in John 4, in spirit and truth. No longer would a worship, a worshiper of God, be acknowledged solely because of their ethnic heritage. The defining characteristic for membership among God's people would be abiding in Christ. He says very scandalously, 
and they couldn't have fully understood it at the time. To be an Israelite, to be one of God's chosen people, is to belong to Jesus, the true and only vine. And so we too need to hear the same message. That to be a true believer, to really be a part of God's family, it's more than going to church. It's more than having the right parents or friends. It's more than having scripture memorization. It's more than having the right beliefs about marriage and sexuality or the Trinity. So much more to be a Christian, a true Israelite, God's chosen people, is to belong to Jesus, to be His and He yours. For each of us to love just as He is loved by His Father and He has loved us. To obey by the power of the Holy Spirit as He obeyed. Does that kind of mess with you a little bit? Jesus learned how to obey by the power of the Holy Spirit as He was upon the earth. He walked in perfect obedience and grew in His understanding. These are the passages that tells us that Jesus walked it out absolutely perfectly. And that is how our walk needs to grow into. Not perfectly, but perfectibly in a way that continues to be perfected, be being perfected, as Paul would say. So just as in the other I am statements, and that they came with a valid warning, here too Jesus would say to us, don't assume you're a branch on the vine just because you're in the proximity of the vineyard. You are a part of the vine upon this one condition, that you abide in me. And at this point, I would encourage young people especially, my young people, just because you are in proximity to the life of God that is here at this church, does not guarantee that you are in the vine. God doesn't have any grandchildren. You're either His child or you're not. You're either part of the vine or you're not. And that is a serious place to be and a place for all of us to reflect and say, Father, where is my treasure? Show me my treasure. Is my treasure Christ? Is my treasure His life in me that you have placed there by the power of the Holy Spirit? Or is it something of my own making? The second activity of God the vine dresser is to prune the branches that bear fruit. Wait a minute. We're bearing fruit. What do you mean? But yet God the vine dresser in his infinite wisdom comes along and cuts a little more. Because he knows that this, this branch needs this part cut off because it's taking too much sap in a direction that is not fruitful. And that's us in our lives as we walk with Christ that we may bear more fruit. Many of us in this room know this explicitly. You understand 
that God prunes. And he does it because he is loving us. And that he loves his son and his own glory. And wants to see more fruit bearing in us. Some of you have gone through this and haven't even realized it. How many of you have ever had difficulty in prayer? Anybody? Was it that way whenever you first were saved? Or was prayer a lot easier? Just flowed and pray. Why is that? Because God wants depth in your prayer. He wants more fruit to come out of your prayer. So He causes, He prunes back the prayer branch and causes that difficulty so you learn to grow through it. And you learn how to pray in a way that is more fruitful. It's every area of our lives. You see fruit? God's going to prune it. You, you think you're loving? You've walked in love? God's going to bring difficult people into your life. And, and it's not for accidents. And it's not because of some horrible thing you've done. God loves you and wants you to be more fruitful. Lots of times that's our own families, right? Uh, no greater means of sanctification in our lives is, is our families. You know, um, my beautiful children have beautiful ways of um, showing me my sin and allowing what's really going in my heart to be exposed. And it's a good thing because I'm learning to be more fruitful with them. I'm learning to be really patient because I walk humbly before them and I admit my guilt. I'm learning to, to really love them. And sometimes when they don't act like they want to be loved. And God is, is pruning that fruit. So it may be circumstances that you find you in, a difficult family member, or a work situation, or a health issue. And all of this, we experience the promise of John 16, verse 33, that says, I have said these things to you, that in me, in me, you may have peace. Because in the world, you will have tribulation. So as we are attached to the vine, we are in Him, right? And He in us. And in Him we have peace because we're going to have tribulation in the world. But He goes on and finishes and He says, I have overcome the world. Or if you want to put it in Matthew's way of saying it, Matthew 28, I will be with you until the end of the age. So no matter what you go through in this life, I will be with you. Because I, you are attached to me. And I, my life, is in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is a promise we need to hold on to as we start to see this world's tribulation come upon us through our family members, through work situations, through health issues, whatever it is. 
we need to know that Christ is with us. So what's the result of this fruit bearing? Fruit and more fruit. The first one, John mentions, or Jesus mentions, John writes, got to get that straight in my head. Come out wrong. Right one of these times. Is joy. Verse 11, he says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. If it's true that the fruit bearers get pruned by God to bear more fruit, more, more fruit, was Jesus a fruit bearer? Absolutely, right? Did he get pruned by God? Absolutely. Think about this. And we discussed this at the table. Dinner discipleship Thursday night. Shameless plug, but be here. Um, how big of goofballs do you think the disciples were? If your children evoke opportunities for sanctification in your life, for growth in fruit, how big of goofballs? Oftentimes, we get short little pictures of them, whether it's James and John fighting over who's going to be first, you know, Peter having to be told to get behind Jesus because he's allowing Satan to flow through him. They must have been constant boneheads. And and Jesus walked perfectly with them. God using the opportunities to grow. And they would learn, wow. Wow, that's what gentleness looks like. That's what real gentleness looks like. Because remember, we don't... We don't know the half of the tribulation that this world can provide. Because we give in. Oftentimes, whether it's complaining and doubt in our own hearts or it's physical, outward verbal complaining or giving in to sin. Jesus never did. He was tempted in every way as we yet without sin. So he endured everything that Satan had in his torture arsenal on a daily basis. On a weekly basis, a monthly basis, a yearly basis. He did it perfectly. He did it for us. The second fruit that he mentions here is love. Verse 12, he says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Verse 17 goes on and says, These things I command you so that you will love one another. So that we will love one another. We follow His commands. And we learn what it is to love. This is one of the main reasons why Pastor Peter would tell us that when we turn over to Galatians 5, as we're going to do, and we read the phrase that Galatians 5 tells us, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. That's why he stops there. Right? This is the obeying of the commandments. This is the fruit, love. This is the first one. This is the one that the rest of them emanate from. Our loving Christ, because He has loved us, and our loving of one another, is the fulfillment of the commandments. So let's do, let's turn over to Galatians 5. 
verse 22 23 as paul writes but the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self-control against such things there is no law it is the fruit of the spirit right so like we talked about the glass being full, but yet able to have more as an overflow and an outflow. This is the fruit of the Spirit. You as a branch are meant to be fruitful and let the Spirit flow through you this way. For, as Ephesians 2.10 would tell us, we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. By God. For the glory of Jesus. By the power of the Holy Spirit. These are the purposes of God. And this is always how it works. On this passage in Galatians. Jonathan Edwards said that these fruits are. Big word. Concatenated. Concatenated. In other words. They grow together. They're interdependent. Listen how Timothy Keller explained it. In a sermon. On how to change. He used this quote from Edwards. And he said. What, what Jonathan Edwards said. Is that the graces. The fruit of the spirit. Are concatenated. All these graces grow together. All graces are interdependent. Real peace. Comes. From humility. Real peace. Comes from humility. It does. Essentially humility is honesty. Humility is being who you truly are before God. Is reflecting, yes, God, that's me. And that's where peace comes from. Peace and humility grow together. It's fruit in our lives. Just because you're gentle doesn't mean you're loving. There's lots of people who are mild-mannered, who are more concerned about the, the views of others. And so they seem to be gentle. They seem to be uh, reserved and, and soft-spoken even. But is that because they're loving and gentle? They're, they're willing to walk with you in accountability through an issue? Or they avoid it? And then their gentleness, they say, oh, you just be you. I'll be me. No, gentleness and love walk together hand in hand. And, and there's a means of, of love, much as Christ would say, obey my commandment. Love one another. Be accountable. A person of integrity is always the same, no matter who they are, no matter who they are with, because their integrity comes from utter peace and tremendous joy. And joy without faithfulness and patience isn't real joy. They go together. Some people are unflappable. But they may not be gentle or kind. Their seeming peacefulness is simply because they do not care. Being too naive and being too cynical both come from a self-righteous lack of self-control. Wow. Well, the last thing, and, and this is what I feel would be valuable in, I don't know, at least another part message by itself, but we'll, get, we'll touch on it here, is this role of prayer. 
in attachment to the vine and the, the father's vine dressing pruning. So in, in back in John 15, in verses 7 and 16, he says, If you abide in me, my words in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So much in the same way, and, and, and whenever I read this, my mind um, almost instantly went to the Ephesians 3 passage where Paul prays. In Ephesians three fourteen. he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, all the members of the vine, what is the breadth and length, height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, Overflow and outflow. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So as we abide, as we are rooted and grounded in Christ, Paul says that we grow in love. And we grow in our understanding and our enjoyment of that love, of our treasuring of Christ, of His purposes in our lives. And we want that for as many other people as possible. We want to see that in our brothers and sisters in the church. We want to see that in our children. We want to see that in our co-workers, in our family members outside of our family. We want to see that everyone we meet we want to see the breadth of Christ's love and we want to pray that way that this breadth, it, it's wide enough to reach every age, every nation, every tribe, every tongue. No matter who you are, no matter where you are, that will be the rejoice of heaven as we see in Revelation chapter 4 and 5. It's a length that's it's long enough to continue from everlasting to everlasting. It doesn't end. We'll continue to enjoy it throughout eternity. It's height. And it's high enough to envelop us into Christ's joy and the glory of heaven, much like Moses did when he came down on the mountain and radiated. We too can radiate that way. And it's deep. It's deep enough that even Christ did not count equality, as Philippians 2 tells us, with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, and he humbled himself by becoming obedient, even to the point of death, even death on the cross. What a depth that is. So I urge you this week to go into your lives and fulfill the purposes of God for you by the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God. King Jesus. Thank you.